0: This is Monday Matinee on the Mutual Audio Network. Come on, let's all go to the lobby. Because people are staring at us listening to these shows while we're in the theater.
1: The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance.
2: How do I... I'll skip ahead of... No, I can't skip ahead I'll... All right, everybody, into the
3: time machine. Hey,
4: what? Uh, wait, no, no,
5: wait a minute. No, 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 no,
4: no. You don't understand how radio works. All I have to do to return this is fade my voice out like this and kill
3: the organist.
4: And you see, here we are. Wait a minute. 63 Audio presents the old-time radio essentials
6: Greetings, all who gather here, and welcome to Old Time Radio Essentials. If this is your first time joining us, and even if it ain't, I must inform you that this is episode 24.
4: My name is Pete. This is Dave. And I'm Paul. The purpose of our show is to present specific episodes of our favorite old-time radio series, episodes that stand out as particularly representative of those series, or as one of those quotable episodes that fans of old radio like to discuss, either in person or on social media.
7: We'll open each episode by introducing the selection, describing it briefly, and then we'll play it for you. Then we'll come back at the end and discuss it at length, each of us giving their opinions on its merit, its performances, or anything that stands out for us. And that's exactly what we're
6: presenting to you. Just our opinions on whether or not it's worthy of a place in every old-time radio aficionado's personal collection. You don't have to agree with us, and in fact, we may not agree with each other, but we do hope you'll enjoy what we bring to the table and come back for
4: more. Each of us three will take turns selecting a show for discussion. Last month, it was my turn. An episode called Murder at the Rodeo from the Boston Blackie series in case you missed it. This month, It's Dave's very first turn, and we're all agog. Positively agog. (laughs) I don't know what that means.
7: hear what you have for us, Dave. Just read the words. (laughs) You you keep using that word. I do not think (laughs) it means what you think it means. (laughs) Inconceivable. (laughs) Well, look, I have a great admiration for audio drama in all its forms. I really do, but... In my secret heart of hearts, there's only two subjects suitable for audio drama, sci-fi and gumshoes. And today I bring you the definitive example of the latter, the adventures of Philip Marlowe, episode 79 from the CBS radio series titled The Anniversary Gift. It aired on April 11th, 1950, and while the bulk of the CBS series was performed by Gerald Moore, uh, this episode starred William Conrad, who went on to be famous for Gunsmoke, and Nero Wolfe, and Jake and the Fat Man, and many other stellar tales.
4: Philip Marlowe was the most famous literary creation of author Raymond Chandler, and appeared in eight novels from the late 1930s to the 50s. The Marlowe character was quickly picked up by radio, movies, and TV and portrayed by such actors as Dick Powell, Humphrey Bogart, Elliot Gould, James Garner, Robert Mitchum, and believe it or not, Danny Glover.
7: And I had to check that one out. I had to look that one up. I, I, didn't, I was not aware that Danny Glover had, had played uh, uh, <laughs> Marlowe. Philip Marlowe. But sure enough, he did. It was amazing. Cool. And so
6: we present the anniversary gift from April 11th, 1950, and the adventures of Philip Marlowe.
4: And now, friends, adjust your radio dials to the proper frequency. Get comfortable and listen.
8: Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road and those who travel it wind up in the gutter, the prison, or the grave. This time, a platinum wristwatch, a body on a lonely strip of beach, and a case of heart failure in a Beverly Hills garage, all added up to blackmail, 25 years old, and a killer who would never be caught.
9: It happened like this. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in... The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. In just a moment, tonight's story. But first, a message from the Ford dealers of America.
10: The whole country's talking about the great 1950 Ford. Listen to what Mr. Carl Moore of Kingston, Pennsylvania, one of more than 420,000 delighted owners, says about his new Ford. I leave my car out on the street a lot in winter, but you'd never know it to look at my 50 Ford's paint job. It's still as new-looking as when I bought it. I'll never stop wondering how Ford can sell a car that stands up so well for so little money. And speaking of getting a lot for little money, my Ford gives me up to 22 miles to a gallon of gas. Yes, it's hard for Ford owners to keep the good news to themselves. The news about the economy of the big new Ford. From its low initial price to its high resale value, from its low cost of maintenance to its thrift on gas and oil, Ford is a real economy buy. But prove it for yourself. Your neighborhood Ford dealer has the facts on Ford Economy. And he'll be glad to have you test drive the big 1950 Ford in your own way. And now we bring you tonight's exciting
9: story, the anniversary gift.
3: Turn left at the next corner, cabby. Okay. Boy, this Beverly Hills in a sunny afternoon is really something, ain't it? Yeah. Wide streets, classy homes. Boy, these jokers got it made. Some life. Nothing ever gets to them to bother them except the income tax, maybe. Yep. Here it is, mister. Eighty-eight thirty-four Beverly Road. What a joint.
8: Yeah. Um. Wait for me, huh?
3: Sure, sure, mister. <laughs>
8: The door was answered by a girl of about 16, a tall, slender girl with dark eyes. Too deep for her years.
5: Oh, come in, won't you? I believe Dad's expecting you.
8: She led me across a living room as dignified as the lobby of a bank to a door that she opened.
5: If you'll wait here in the library, I'll tell Dad you've come.
8: The library of Stanley Towner, my new client, was as somber as his living room, except for one thing. Over a fireplace that half-filled one wall was a life-size portrait of a woman. A most beautiful woman. Could have been a painting of what the girl who had just left would look like in another 25 years. I was still staring at the picture when Stanley Tarner came in.
2: That's a portrait of Margaret, my wife. We lost her one week ago today. I'm sorry, Mr. Tarner. Well, we'd been expecting it for over a year. The doctors had warned us, but... Even when you are braced for a blow like that, it... Uh... Yes, I know what you mean. It was her heart, Marlowe. She was coming home from a shopping trip in Westwood last Tuesday evening when it happened. She had her own car and was just pulling into the garage here when the attack seized her. Catherine, my daughter, and I both heard her car hit the garage wall. We ran out and found her. The doctor did everything possible, but Wednesday morning she was, she was dead. I'm, I'm sorry. It's all right, Mr. Tanner. I must tell you all this because the... the reason I called you here has to do with Margaret's death. I don't understand. I, I, I've got to get Mar- Margaret's watch back. A what? A watch? Yes, a wristwatch. It's, um... Uh, well, I'll try to explain. I loved my wife very deeply, Marlowe. Now that I've lost her, the most important thing in the world to me is the preservation of her memory... Can you understand that?
8: It's natural that you'd cling to things that remind you of her, Mr. Towner. Uh,
2: Now, what about the watch? It's lost. Somewhere in Camino Beach. You know where that is? Yes, a few miles below Redondo. Yes, that's right. The day Margaret died, I had taken her watch with me to have it repaired. I went down the coast on some business, and on the way back, I stopped at Camino Beach for lunch. A place called the Trade Winds. You had the watch with you when you went in? Yes, in my overcoat pocket. I came out and got in my car and was halfway back to my office before I realized it was gone. I, I've i got to get it back, Marlowe. How much is it worth? In cash, about $500, but to me, now, it's its worth 20 times that. Uh, what's the watch like? It's a Benrus, platinum, and set with emeralds. Mm-hmm. I gave it to Margaret on our 20th wedding anniversary. There's an inscription on the back to Margaret from Stanley, with eternal love. I know that watch is somewhere in Camino Beach. Can you find it and bring it back here to me? There's nothing more you can tell me? Unfortunately, that's all there is.
8: I'll do my best, but uh, I can't guarantee a thing. The cabby waiting outside drove me back to the gas station on Wilshire where I picked up my own car fresh off the grease rack and headed for the ocean and the sunset. It was getting dark by the time I reached Camino Beach, a rickety, salt-cake little town jumbled in between the highway and the surf. Yeah, my first stop was the Winds Cafe, a waterfront shack on spindly legs standing knee-deep in a smelly backwash. It only took ten minutes to find that there was nothing there for me. After that, I drew a blank at each of the three hawk shops in town. Wound up an hour and a half later, no farther than the sidewalk curb or I watched a traffic cop brand my tire with his parking marker, plant a heavy foot on my bumper to steady his bike and light a cigarette. Hiya. Is this your car? Yeah. What is it? Am I overparked? Nope, not yet. Just borrowing your bumper a minute. Mine? Of course not. Got a lot of scratches already. Say, uh, that's a fancy chalk label you put on the side of that tire there. Z, uh, the mark of Zorro,
2: huh? <laughs> no, the mark of Ziegler. That's me. Just little thing I worked out to add a personal touch to my business. <laughs> um, you're a stranger around here, aren't you? Yeah, from L.A. Uh-huh.
8: Saw you coming out of the pawn shop there. You don't look like the type. <laughs> well, I'm not, as long as my luck holds. Actually, a friend of mine lost a wristwatch here in town. I'm trying to locate it. Pretty good watch, is it? Yeah, good enough. The really tough part is that it has a very big sentimental value. I've tried all three of the pawn shops in town, but uh, no dice. You know, if I had a friend who'd lost a good watch, I think I'd check in at uh, Sean's bicycle shop on 3rd Street. Well, thanks a lot, Ziegler. Don't mention it. Oh, uh, incidentally, I wouldn't bother to tell him who sent me down if I was you. So long. Hello. Hello. Hello, anybody there? Hello, Sean.
3: What do you want? I'm close for the night.
8: I'm uh, interested in a lady's wristwatch, Mr. Sean.
3: Are oh, you now? Just how does that bring you to a bicycle shop?
8: Look, we both know you're a fence, so let's not waste time on that. The well, watch I'm after is platinum, set with emeralds, and has an inscription on the back: "To Margaret from Stanley with eternal love." A bright sentiment, I'm sure. Have you seen the watch? No. Look, Sean. Either I beat your tongue as limber as the St. Bernard's ears, or you accept this twenty dollars in exchange for some straight information.
3: Peacefully. Now take your choice and take it fast. Uh, twenty dollars. What kind of a choice is that? But I don't have the watch buckle. But you have seen it. Oh five, six days ago a fella brought that watch in here, wanted to know what it was worth. I said five hundred, he laughed in my face. Who was this guy? You mentioned something about twenty dollars.
8: Oh, yes. Here. All right, now give.
3: That's better. His name is Chip Menashe, and summers he works in the concessions in the pier, and winters he's nothing more than a beachcomber. Lives in a little room out on the pier behind the shooting gallery, and that bucko is your $20 worth.
8: It had better be, Shane, or I'll be back for my change. The amusement pier was deserted. When I finally found the one-room shack tacked on behind the shooting gallery, it was dark and quiet. I knocked once, got no answer. So I pushed a wad of rags out of a broken pane of glass in the door, reached inside, and unsnapped the lock and went in. With a light from the one naked overhead bulb, I started through the room. On a packing crate that passed for a dresser, I found a week-old newspaper clipping. that said the body of one Leon Stice of Camino had been found on an isolated beach Wednesday morning shot in the chest, no apparent reason. Stice was survived by his wife, Nancy, of 320 Front Street. I got real busy wondering why a bum like Chip Menashe saved old newspaper clippings of murder stories when a noise outside turned me toward the open door.
0: What are you doing in my place?
8: Uh, You weren't home, so I came in to wait.
0: You a cop or something?
8: No, I'm no cop, Menashe. The name's
0: Marlowe.
8: Maybe we can do business. Sit down. I don't get you. I, uh, collect old watches. Hmm. A mutual friend sent me, Menashi Yeah? I'm interested in ladies' watches particularly. Maybe something in platinum with
0: emeralds. Okay, Pally, what's the proposition?
8: Uh, nothing until I see the merchandise. Now how about putting it on display, huh? <laughs> I can't hear you, Pally. Ah, oh, come on now. Where's the watch?
0: Don't wash me, mister. Don't wash me. Get your nowheres. <laughs> All right. Uh, make me a proposition. <laughs> Ten grand... Ten...
8: Ten thousand? Uh Uh-huh. You must be out of your mind.
0: Yeah, we'll see who's out of their minds. That's a very valuable watch. Maybe you better get out of here and add it all up again.
8: Yeah, maybe I'd better at that. But, uh, Meneshi,
0: don't go away, because I'll be back. (laughs) I won't go away. I know when I'm sitting on top of the pile.
8: (laughs) As I walked away, a hunch kept whispering to me that the body of a guy named Leon Stice found on a lonely beach was somehow tied in. So I decided to pay a call on his widow. I drove down Front Street to number 320. But there was nobody home. As a matter of fact, the only sign of life on the entire block was a red neon pelican and a blue neon martini glass above the door of a bar across the street. So I walked over and went in. A couple of questions later, I found Nancy Stice sitting alone in the back. The offer to buy a drink was the only introduction I needed.
1: Sure, you can buy me a drink. Hey, Charlie. Okay, Nancy.
8: I, uh, I'm an old friend of your husband's, Nancy. I just heard.
1: Huh. That louse didn't have no friends. Huh? Hey, uh, there you are, Nancy. Something for you,
5: mister? Uh,
8: no. Uh, here, keep Thanks.
1: it. Mud your eye. Nah. I got nothing against Leon Stice. Except 25 years of living with him in a Camino Beach rat hole on nothing. That's all.
8: Any idea why he was killed?
1: For the role he was carrying.
8: After what you just said, that makes no sense.
1: That's the way it was. And I didn't get one red cent of it. It was all gone when they found him.
8: Did you tell the cops he had money on him?
1: Nah. I hate cops.
8: Yeah, sure. Uh, where did Leon get this dough?
1: It told me he ran into an old acquaintance who was staking him. Some guy named Martin Vogel who used to live here in Camino Beach years ago.
8: Martin Vogel was staking him? To what?
1: Leon said him and Fogel was going in business together. The cash was in advance. Oh, sure, he was going to be such a big shot.
8: What kind of business, Nancy?
1: Just between... Just between you and me, the only business that crummy mind of his would work on was blackmail. Take it from me. Hmm. Now, how about another drink for his grief-stricken widow, huh?
8: I'll, uh, leave a buck on the bar on my way out.
9: In just a moment, the second act of Philip Marlowe. But first, a brief message from the four dealers of America.
10: From coast to coast, Ford owners agree the big new Ford brings you more for your money. More in comfort, more in performance, and more in economy. But only through personal experience can you appreciate the restful ease of Ford's famous midship ride and the luxurious comfort of Ford's non-sag foam rubber cushion front seat. Only by driving this great car can you enjoy its smooth power and solid roadability. And only by getting the facts about Ford's economy can you understand... That's so powerful, so smooth riding, and so beautiful a car can cost so little to buy, to run, and to maintain. But see, hear, and feel how much the new Ford gives you. Find out how much it saves you. Yes, before you buy any car at any price, it will pay you to stop by your local Ford dealers. Take the wheel of the 100-horsepower V8 or its companion in quality, the 95-horsepower 6. Once you've driven it, you'll agree... The new Ford is the one truly fine car in the low-price field.
9: Now we return to the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story, The Anniversary Gift.
8: I left the Pelican Club, got into my car, and started for the local law on the chance that I could learn something more about the new question mark I'd picked up named Martin Vogel. Ten minutes later, I parked my car under the cracked globe that oozed sick purple light over a weather-beaten sign, Camino Beach Police. A fat sergeant huddled over what could have been the original teletype machine. When I presented my credentials, he jabbed a fat finger at a dirty glass door marked Captain Elvin Bush, Chief of Detectives. Inside, a small old man neat in a clean white shirt, groomed silver hair, and a gentle smile was strapping on a shoulder holster when I put my license on his desk. When I stopped talking, he got up and extended an almost delicate hand.
5: I certainly hope we can help you, Mr. Marlowe. Martin Vogel, you say?
8: Yes, it might have been a long time ago, Captain, maybe even 25 years, if he was mixed up with the police at all.
5: Uh, do your records go back that far? Oh, yes, by the apple crate load. And I mean that literally, Mr. Marlowe. You see, in Camino Beach, police piles, fixtures, and furniture are somewhat lacking. City appropriations only go where they show. Public bird baths, statues of the mayor. Oh, here. This bottom crate here, marked, uh, let's see... Uh, 1921 to
8: 1930.
5: Figure he was arrested along in there, this Vogel?
8: Yeah, if he was arrested. Yeah, it's dusty, isn't it?
5: <laughs> well, <coughs> the cards are alphabetical.
8: Yeah. And I see Riker, Rooney, Stemple. By the way, Mr. Marlowe, what's your angle? Uh, I'm not sure, Captain Svensson, Underley, Utterman, Vent. Vogel. Martin. Got it, eh? Yeah, picture and all.
5: Bring it over here in the light.
8: Yeah. Uh, Martin Vogel arrested Camino Beach Hotel, May 28, 1923, on warrant from Chicago, Illinois police. Returned to Chicago, sentenced to five years in state penitentiary for embezzlement. Arresting officer, Patrolman Elvin Bush.
5: Hmm. I picked him up myself, did I? Well, I've locked up a lot of people in the last 35 years.
8: Yeah, I guess you have it. Holy smokes. Huh? What? That can't be.
5: What is, it, Mr. Marlowe? You look kind of pale.
8: There was no mistaking it. The time yellowed picture of Martin Vogel made it plain. Vogel and my client, the distinguished Mr. Stanley Towner, were one and the same. That meant that Tonner had lied to me and, more important, had no doubt killed Leon Stice, who was blackmailing him because he knew he was Vogel. I left Captain Bush, piled into my car and pointed it back for the amusement pier, where one way or another I was going to get Chip Meneshi to fill in a few remaining blanks for me. Marlowe, Menashe. I want to talk business.
0: Okay, Marlowe. Looks like I doped it right. I thought you'd come back.
5: Hey. Oh. All right.
8: Now get up. And listen hard. I want the watch and the story that comes with it. I told you my price. It's still ten grand. You're bluffing, Menashe. You know the watch means money, but you don't know why.
0: Yeah, Mr. Wisenhardt.
8: All right, now Come on, talk.
0: Okay, okay, quit. I'll tell you what you want. I took the watch from Leon Stice. I found him dead on the beach. It was clenched in his fist.
8: And the dough you're spending?
0: Was in his wallet. Let me up, will you?
8: All right, come on. Now sit over there. Hands in your lap. School isn't out yet.
0: What more do you want, Marlowe?
8: How do you tie the watch in with Stanley Towner?
0: What makes you think I did?
8: The fact that I was sent here to Camino Beach and the fact that you were ready and waiting for somebody. Well?
0: Okay, okay. Uh, I was lucky. When I read about Stice in the papers, I also just happened to read another article, an oddity, you might say, about a woman in Beverly Hills, a rich man's wife who got a heart attack in her car. Just she pulled into her garage. A woman called Towner, front name Margaret. Wife of a big shot broker, also called Towner, front name Stanley. I went from there. I was shrewd.
8: Yeah, genius. Okay, now give me the watch. Come on, let's have it. All right,
0: get your mitts off. Here. Now you're real
8: happy, muscles, happy
0: that you. Hey, cops. Come this way. Hey, Medici, wait a minute.
8: By the time I got to the door, he was halfway across the boardwalk to his car. But Captain Bush and his sergeant were ready and waiting. When Menashe was next to the gun he kept in his glove compartment, the spotlight on the squad car slashed through the dark, found him, and froze him in a position.
5: We've got you, Menashe. You'd better quit. Menashe, do you hear me? Uh, no, you listen, copper. <laughs> Let him have it, Becker.
8: The windshield sprang into little pieces. Uh,
5: that got him. Now come on, Becker.
8: I waited until Captain and Becker were next to the body and had lifted it off the steering wheel. Then I moved quietly along the side of the buildings as far as the squad car. There, I turned and started back toward them. Hey! Hey, what happened? Oh, it's you, Captain.
5: What brings you around here, Mr. Marlowe?
8: Uh, a guy in town told me that somebody named Chip Menashe might give me a lead on Martin Vogel.
5: You won't be able to now. That's Menashe. What? We wanted him for a week-old stick-up murder. Stick-up murder?
8: Uh, that
5: guy on the beach? The same. Say, Becker, uh, did you find the money on him? Right, some 300 bucks, Captain. Good. Well, you better call for the wagon now. Check. Funny thing, Mr. Marlowe, one fingerprint did it. Oh, how's that? Well, that guy on the beach, Leon Stice, who found his empty wallet in the sand next to him. It had an Isinglass front over his driver's license with a thumbprint that wasn't his. But
8: was Chip Meneschi's, huh?
5: Well, we got on to Meneschi because he was spreading a lot of dough around. Today, Becker got down here and lifted one of his prints. That sensed it, huh? Yes, that, and a shot he just threw at me. Yeah, strictly a stick-up killer who got caught. Marlowe, about this Martin Vogel... Uh, You still want to let it go that the Beverly Hills police are going to get in touch?
8: Uh, I think so. Good night, Captain Bush. The ride back to Beverly Hills was an uncomfortable hour and a half, cold and empty. I was glad that I had things to do like stop and start and shift gears. It kept me from thinking too much about a lot of things and a lot of people I wish I'd never heard of. People like Stanley Tanner, who I had every reason to be against, but who I was starting to pull for. Stanley Tanner, a man who had started all over again after a single mistake made 25 years ago. A man who had fought to build good things, like a comfortable home, a marriage to, to a woman in a painting, a 16-year-old likeness named Catherine. But Stanley Tanner, who was also a killer on a lonely stretch of beach far from home, Destroying something rotten who would destroy him. A killer that nobody knew about. Except me. Well, I pulled into the driveway and parked behind the car that had been Margaret's. As I got out, the light of the garage went on and the side door of the house opened. I felt almost wrong dropping my hand around the 38 in my side pocket. Good evening, Mr. Marlowe. You have the watch? Yeah. I had quite a tussle getting hold of it. I imagined you would. Minishy is dead, Mr. Tanner. Minishy?
2: Who, um, who is Meneshi, Mr. Marlowe?
8: The reason you hired me? The man who called you and dangled this bait? Here, you were right. It's a beautiful watch, Mr. Vogel.
2: Vogel? You, you know about
8: it? Yeah, they keep police files a long time. I know about everything. Except why you didn't go after the watch yourself. Well, I, I, I was afraid. Afraid to show yourself in the town where somebody might remember you, huh? The town in which you had committed a murder, is that it? Yes, yes, that's it exactly.
5: Here. Uh, yes,
2: dear. Me, Mr. Marlowe.
5: Oh, well, why don't you come into the house? It's so late and it's chilly. You'll catch your death of cold out there.
2: Yes, in a while, dear. Now go back to bed.
5: <laughs> All right. Good night, Dad. Good night, dear. Well, good night, Mr. Marlowe, and please make him do as I say, will you?
8: Uh, yes, I, I will, Catherine. Good night.
2: Do you mind if we go along to the police at once, Mr. Marlowe? I'd rather she didn't know right now. Tomorrow is soon enough. And uh, can we take your car? Yeah. The lights go off out here? Yes. The switch is on the garage wall over there. Okay,
8: get in. All right. You know, Mr. Tanner, I'm sorry about Catherine and the way
2: she's going to be hit, but...
8: hit by this thing.
2: The switch is there on your right. On your right, Mr. Marlowe. Uh, Yeah. It was a very nice house. Mm hmm. <coughs> Mr. Tanner,
8: you certainly loved Margaret a lot, didn't you? Completely, Mr. Marlowe. And her memory, too? Why do you ask? Something that makes me awfully happy. Mr. Tanner, you didn't kill Leon Stice. Marlowe, what are you saying? That you never lost your wife's watch at Camino Beach. You never had it, she lost it herself. Lost it when she struggled with Leon Stice just before she killed him for your sake. For you and Catherine and everything you've worked for. No, Marlowe, no. Yes, you... Margaret had a bad heart. She knew she didn't have long to live. Also, she knew that Stice was blackmailing you. It figures, Tonner. And what also figures is that you'd rather pay for a murder that you didn't commit than to have Margaret's name soiled. Yes, I would. And I will. Because you can't prove any of this. Correction, Mr. Tanner, I can With your wife's car there in the garage, the car in which she died on what you said was her return from Westwood. Which it was? No, not according to a funny little chalk mark I just saw on one tire it wasn't. A little white Z that a policeman named Ziegler in Camino Beach makes to check on parking time. And we can go on from there. Your confession won't mean a thing. But, Marlowe, it will, it will, it...
2: (sighs) No, no, I guess it won't. I guess you can't hide the truth very often, can you? now.
8: Only once in a great while. And then, strangely enough, only when it seems like the right thing to do. What do you mean?
2: Why did you stop the motor?
8: There's one thing I haven't told you yet. The way things worked out in Camino Beach, Mr. Tanner, The police there think that Menashe killed Leon Stice, and they're happy that way. They never heard of you or your wife. And I don't see why they should. Now. Yes. I mean that nobody really knows the whole
2: story. Nobody. Except you, Marlowe. Nobody, Mr. Towner. Good night. Thank you, Mr. Marlowe. Good night. <laughs>
9: Philip Marlowe will be back in just a moment, but first,
10: a word from the Ford Dealers of America. Tonight, there are more than 420,000 enthusiastic 1950 Ford owners, and it seems as though most of them are talking about this car. Listen to what Judge Richmond B. Keach of Washington, D.C. has to say about his new Ford. I was so satisfied with my 49 Ford that
0: I decided to get a 50 as soon as they became available. I've been more than pleased with the 50. Truthfully... I see no cause to pay more when a Ford gives me all the performance, quiet, and comfort a man can ask for at such a reasonable price. A Ford is wonderfully easy to handle,
10: particularly in traffic. Yes, ask any Ford owner how he feels about his big new Ford, and he'll tell you it's tops for performance and for comfort. But prove it for yourself. Drop into your neighborhood Ford dealers and test drive this truly great car. You'll be amazed when you discover how little it costs to buy, to run, and to maintain. Do it tomorrow. Test drive the big new 1950 Ford. Be sure and
9: be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... This time I was
8: in the country where the night should have been nothing but peace and quiet. But a pair of angry eagles changed all that. One was solid gold and too close to a battered corpse. The other weighed 160 pounds and was too quick with his fists, in or out of the ring.
9: The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character. Tonight starred Bill Conrad, are produced and directed by Norman McDonald and are written for radio by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Sammy Hill, John Daner, Gene Bates, Ralph Moody, Larry Dobkin, Harry Bartell, and Edgar Berrier. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard Orant. This is Roy Rowan speaking for CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. <laughs>
4: We're back with Old Time Radio Essentials. This is Paul with Dave and Pete. That was an episode of The Adventures of Philip Marlowe called The Anniversary Gift, originally broadcast April 11th, 1950 on CBS Radio.
7: Dave, this was your selection for this installment. Eh, what made you choose it? A lot of reasons, actually, Paul. But let me let me give you a little background here, okay? So there were two... Adventures of Philip Marlowe series back in the day. Uh, NBC ran a 13-episode summer short series in 1947 uh, starring Ben Heflin uh, and featured scripts adapted from actual Chandler stories. Uh, Then a CBS radio series by the same name started up a year later starring Gerald Moore as Marlowe. But none of their scripts were adapted from Chandler's stories. They were all inspired by Chandler's work and honestly in my opinion it really shows Uh, most of their scripts feel campy and cliche playing to the to the tropes of the genre without really honoring the soul of it Uh, and you know no 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 shade on Gerald Moore Uh, dude won awards and acclaim for his portrayal of Marlowe but I always felt he was a little overdone Uh, I always felt Heflin did a better job So when I saw this episode that we just listened to, it jumped out because it was the only episode starring William Conrad, who, according to what I was able to follow up on, uh, he was filling in because Moore was ill. So it was an odd duck in, in the canon of the CBS series. And I do loves me some odd ducks. So I listened and there's just something about the script and Conrad's performance Uh, that that felt truer to the spirit of Marlowe than the others in the series. Uh, The script is classic noir. I mean, these stories are traditionally a patchwork of seemingly disconnected events and and bits of information that can only be stitched together through the the tenacious digging of a courageous knight in tarnished armor. Uh, And this story I had you all over the place. They were missing watch. There's a dead guy on the beach. There's blackmail. What the heck is going on? And it only comes together when Marlowe connects all the pieces. Uh, and there was one bit where I started to get a little grumpy about how it was luck that factored into the equation when Marlowe ran into that cop Ziegler who was marking tires. And that was the clue that tied it all together for him. But, you know... That bit of luck was just a clue. If Marlowe hadn't made the connection between the cop and the mark on the tire of the wife's car, the case wouldn't have been solved. So there was I mean, it felt very much faithful to the to the noir stories that I was familiar with. And the descriptions uh, descriptions were a huge part of Chandler's storytelling voice. Um, and I don't know if you guys are familiar with Robert B. Parker. Uh, he wrote the Spencer novels. He was a real student of Chandler, and you'll see a lot of this in, in his novels, too. Uh, and this script really leaned into it. I remember um, Captain Bush's description of a small old man, neat in a clean white shirt, groomed silver hair, and a gentle smile. I mean, just a few words and all of a sudden you've got this full character description sense of who that was is amazing. Uh and then the end, the resolution at the end, the whole knight in tarnished armor, uh Marlowe weighing the balance between truth and the price to be paid for that truth. You know, he decides to let the police believe that that the the thug uh, uh Chip uh, Meneshe uh, killed the guy on the beach instead of Tanner's wife. Uh, so you know, discretion being the better part of valor. I liked that. Um, I love the sensibilities of the era that came out uh, in the script. Like um, when Mar- when Marlo lays out uh, uh, Meneshe, and the guy says, "Help me up." Afterwards, and and Marlo helps him up. Because that's what you did back in the day. You laid the guy out. You made your point. The guy says, okay, you made your point. Help me up. And you do because now you're going to go on to the next thing. I just love that stuff. Um, Now, I will say there are a couple beefs I have with this. At the end when – what was it? There was the pause when he was allegedly fiddling with the light switch. But he was really seeing the – the chalk mark on the wife's tire that didn't read at all that took me right out of the script it was like come on marlo it's the light switch right there you figure it out afterwards but eh. uh i thought he was gar- i thought he got drugged yeah, you he for was- a second
4: there he almost seemed a little out of it when he started replying i'm like oh the guy just slip him a mickey
7: yeah it sounded like yeah. he
4: lost his place in the script
6: it right, really exactly. did that, that particular scene. We all caught it. We all caught it. It was a little off. Yep. It was a little weird. And I didn't know what to make of it myself. It sounded like he he had lost his place. He had repeated a line or he'd skipped a line and then the other guy had to make up for it because it was a right. live broadcast, so he had to say something that made yeah. sense. And so it caught him up again. That's that's what I was thinking.
7: Yeah, that was and that was that that could have been handled much better in the script, certainly. Um, I thought the effects were solid. There were a couple bits where like the Tommy gun that takes out the thug during the police shootout. That was clearly a, a recording that was played in the studio. Uh, but for the most part, I thought the, the effects were good. I thought Conrad's performance was excellent. Uh, uh, so much of more is this sort of very almost melodramatic caricature of the gumshoe. And Conrad just felt very authentic in it uh and and i i appreciated that uh enormously so yeah i mean classic noir sensibilities great performance solid fx i i really enjoyed this one
4: okay great go ahead pete
6: you want to go last on this one okay all right um a couple of things that uh, dave mentioned um you mentioned robert b parker and I have read uh, several of the Spencer novels, but I also read Poodle Springs, which was Marlowe's or or or, uh, Chandler's unfinished novel of Philip Marlowe, which uh, uh, Robert B. Parker uh, finished, and I think he did a pretty good job on that. It's a few years ago that I read it, so it it struck me as a good ending for the novel. So he did a a passable job. Uh, You mentioned Help Me Up. Just the other day, I was in a, a, an old time radio reenactment of, uh, of an episode of suspense, which was an adaptation of Chandler's story "Pearls Are a Nuisance." Oh wow! And I played the uh, the tough guy in that one, and I, I I get punched, and then I I it doesn't affect me, so I punch the other guy because after two punches, I don't want to take it anymore, so I punch him, and I say come on get up and i help him up in that so it's another it's a it, so that was a favorite thing of chandler apparently the
7: gentleman pugilist <laughs> and, I, right? and, I,
6: and i and i say here come on up and i i make a little grunt sound to help him oh, help him get up nice and i i enjoyed i enjoyed uh, conrad's take on this not at first because 79 episodes of gerald moore you know you get <laughs> yeah. used to that intensity and that that uh, uh fast pace of his voice that moves the show along you know and then you get conrad who is very low-key i mean he is like you said he is very much the uh laid-back investigator he just lets things happen uh his voice is um um intense but not that boom, 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 rapid-fire patter that Gerald Moore had. And I I wonder if they actually rewrote the episode a little to allow Conrad to do his thing. It's not that there Mm. was – if he was sick and he had to step in, there may not have been that much time. But there may have been a little um, revision to allow for Conrad's delivery. Who knows? Interesting. So after the second or third listen of this, and I I listened to it three times, Conrad kind of grew on me because – here's a little story – I've admired William Conrad since I was a little kid watching the Bullwinkle cartoons because William Conrad was listed as Bill Conrad in the credits. He was the announcer or the narrator for the Bullwinkle cartoons. Right. But he pitched his voice about two octaves higher and spoke in a rapid fire delivery for comedic effect. So I didn't know it was Bill Conrad until, you know, much later. And, I used to watch Canon in the seventies when he was bald and had a mustache and and was heavy set. And he looked just like my dad at that same age. So we would say, dad, you're on, you're on. It was, it was your TV show. He looked exactly like my dad and they both had low gravelly voices too. So it was like, so cool. Like, wow. Like that, even blue eyes. So it was very, very close um, resemblance. Um, So, He's one of my favorites in the in terms of uh, TV shows, but mostly radio. I can you can always pick him out when he's a, a guest star, and I love him as Matt Dillon. But honestly, to start out, after <laughs> listening to so many episodes of Gerald Moore, even Van Heflin, I only heard a couple of those. Uh, I think there are only a couple in existence. After yeah, all, yeah,
7: there years. only are a couple, which is um, disappointing because so, those um, are
6: the those are the true ones. It took a it took a while to get used to him in that role. So, um, but I did I did enjoy it. Uh, the story was pretty convoluted. Uh, there were lots of characters; they were hard to keep track of. There uh, was lots of twists and turns, and and so on. So, uh, it took uh, a third listen to finally really get it through. Uh, I shouldn't be saying this, you know. <laughs> folks, you don't have to listen three times. I hope you caught, caught everything on the first first go around. All the actors were wonderful. You know, you've got your uh, big names from radio. You mentioned the effects. Uh, some of them were definitely recorded, but I did think that the um, whenever he punched somebody, that sounded really good. I mean, he would punch. Yes. You know, he Open the door. Somebody comes to the door, and he punches him, and then he falls those were very good though and and then footsteps coming in like he step step punch and he falls and that was a really really very good effect and i enjoyed that very much i i did like the ending it was very touching uh you know, the guy that they think did it is dead so why should i tell them that it was you the police are happy why should uh, I spoil? Wife. Why should I spoil? Yeah, it was his wife. Yeah. But right. it was his wife who did it, and then she died. Why should I spoil the police's happiness? Because they think they got the guy. So uh, yeah. that was a pretty good ending, and I enjoyed
4: that. Okay. Polly, Good God, I got nothing left to say after <laughs> you two. You asked to go last. Yeah, I know. This is why, because I'm like, crap.
6: <laughs> That's why I usually go last on that.
4: Yeah. Yeah, it it was very good. I liked it. I like Conrad's voice. Um, I mean, like you said, you can't miss him. You know, he's very distinctive. And it it was one of those things that the weirdest places you can hear somebody because I have um, uh, Sinatra live in Vegas, and I'm sitting there. Okay, all right. I'm going to listen. This is going to be great. It's going to be great. And then the the announcer comes on, and like, holy crap that. That's Canon announcing Frank Sinatra. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> so but it was just so bizarre because you didn't real you never would have expected that, but it's like he's got a good voice for announcing actually. And yeah. <laughs> so uh yeah, I mean it was a well done episode. Like I said, it took me until the third time of listening to it to go, What the hell was going down with the end there? I mean, he did the- did he just make this whole thing up and then you realize no 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 he didn't make the whole thing up. That was when he I thought somebody was slipping him a mickey. He was just actually having a revelation exactly. and he goes, "Oh, no, holy crap. Yeah, he Here saw, the, he saw the Z on the tire.
6: It was tire. your
7: wife who did it. Yeah.
6: You know? He saw the Z on the tire, the mark of Zorro, Marco Ziegler.
7: Exactly, oh, Marco Ziegler. And and, and so, it's that classic moment. That's it. That's the connection. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
4: So, bing, 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 bing. like you said, it, it, it would have been a little bit more difficult back in the day listening to it once and going, "What the hell happened?" <laughs> you would have to. I mean, that would be the good thing about it is that would kind of start a conversation. Yeah. Because people would be going, "Did did you hear that Philip Marlowe last night? What the hell was going on with the ending there?" Well, I think this happened. Well, that, oh, the next thing you know, you're having a conversation about it. Yeah,
7: and everybody's filling in everybody else's blanks until you get the complete story. Yeah. I don't know. My wife was
6: banging on pots in the kitchen at the time, so I missed that part. Yeah.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) But, yeah, I mean, it was was a good episode. I thought it was kind of funny um, picking that one because we try and, I don't know, Sometimes I'll try and pick one that does is kind of like all right, here is what this show is supposed to be like, and get one that's right there, you know, right. so that way a person will get a good slice of the thing, and so this one was the one off and I thought, well, that's kind of funny, actually doing the one off, and now people get to go in and listen to any other episode and go in a different direction with it and see who they prefer yeah you know? yeah absolutely absolutely i agree i agree it, it's nice to do this and you've
6: mentioned this before paul you, you you we're not only to vote on this or that how we how right. we describe it if we can bring uh, a a new show to people who, that they haven't heard before then we're providing a, a valuable service if we can open their eyes to different types of uh genres and so on, then we are proving our existence in this, in this podcasting thing. Well,
7: and your rating criteria pretty much defines that. Your, your true criteria for assessment is, is it indicative of other shows in the series, or is it a standalone show that belongs in every aficionado's collection? So right. really, you're covering both of those bases very nicely. True. Cool. He gets I, us, man. He gets I us. I, know. I get what you're doing here. I do. Gaba gaba.
6: Soon you will be one of us. Gabba Gabba. <laughs> Too late. I already am.
4: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's vote. What are we, wo- <laughs> what, are we okay. voting <laughs> no, what are we voting on? What are we voting on? What
7: is this? Talk oh. to me.
4: Right, right. Oh, all right. That's better. Okay, nice. let's vote. What are we voting on, dear listener? As a reminder, we are voting on A, whether this particular episode is a true representative installment of the overall series. Damn word, I just hear that. And two, whether or not it is a standalone show that belongs in every Radio Aficionado's collection. And again, Dave, this was your selection.
7: You go first. Absolutely. Regarding A, is it representative of the series? Hell no, uh, and like I say, I think that's a good thing. Uh, uh, it definitely stands out. Uh, uh, and again, personal preference. Uh, uh, no, no shade on Gerald Moore. I just like Conrad's aesthetic better, and I like this story uh, better. It was more low key, laid back, and more noir in my estimation. So, a no, not at all representative. Uh, two. Does it belong in a series? I think the fact that it's the only episode starring the fabulous William Conrad pretty much merits inclusion in any collection. So the fact that it's a great story and a textbook slice of noir goodness is just frosting on the snub-nosed 38. So I say yes, it goes in the collection.
4: <laughs> Who put frosting on my snub-nosed 38 to cry out loud? <laughs> You got chocolate on my thirty-eight. <laughs> you got peanut butter on my forty five. <laughs> hey. <laughs> okay.
6: Now for you, Paul.
4: I guess it's me. It's you. I'm gonna vote. Yes. For <laughs> what? Yes. What are you voting? No. What? Whatever. <laughs> yes. Yes, I liked the episode. Yes, I liked all the little plot twists and everything to it. Uh yes, I like the recording of it. Mind you, I know you when you get files sometimes they're not exactly you know pristine or anything, but I mean you can tell when this re- was recorded that it was done really well. Yeah, you know the sound effects, the 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 voice, the way they recorded it. I mean it, it was done very well. You can tell they had some years of experience behind them. You know the people, the engineers who did this, and like Dave said, I do like this as a standalone. It's like, hey, this was really a good episode. If you like that, try some of the other Philip Marlowes and tell me what you think. So, I give it two thumbs up. One for content, one for quality. All right. Now,
6: we do uh, owe our audience an apology because uh, last month we said we were bringing them Red Wind with Van Heflin, but let me explain. Uh, I, I want to explain... A little bit. explain, your, explain yourself. <laughs> you got some spleners. Some friends of mine uh, over at the Mutual Audio Network have their own old-time radio discussion podcast. So it's like the world needs another old-time radio discussion podcast. <laughs> like I need another hole in my head. But here we are. Um, their show is called Sonic Echo. And it's three guys just like us who discuss old-time radio. But they've got. A particular purpose in mind and they run like a a, a theme for s- over several months uh so westerns was what they did uh prior to this and they, they covered several westerns in a row and then they're getting into detectives gumshoes noir and they're doing several of those they but most their most recent episode covered red wind starring van heflin and i didn't want to trod on their uh uh Shirt tails, Or step on their sure. toes Whatever phrase you want to use um, By doing doing the same thing So I wanted to change it And I asked uh, Dave to come up with something else And he found this one I'm really glad he did Because like both of you said William Conrad um, was really good I love his voice I've always loved him uh, he, he's, he, he brought um, <clears throat> a different take To uh, Philip Marlowe That uh, Gerald Moore didn't not to, not to bash on Gerald Moore, because I do enjoy mm-hmm. listening to those episodes. They're fast-moving. They may not be true Chandler, but they are exciting in their own right. And um, Gerald Moore's delivery is just top-notch uh, when
7: it he, comes to... He earned doing, those accolades, yes, absolutely. Um,
6: yeah. So I would have to say, A, no, it is not, like uh, Dave said, not a uh, true representative installment of the overall series. But it is a gem, it's a real gem because it's got William Conrad uh, doing it as the only time in, in however many total episodes they had. So it's just a really nice thing that would uh, be uh, a pride of place in any uh, old-time radio aficionados collection, uh, simply for that reason. So that's it. That's, that's my vote right there. So Dave, you're up. Oh, did you tally the votes already? Oh, you know, oh no, I didn't tally the votes. No, tally, tally, you did not, tally. So, did you? So, A, tally. we got three that say no, and and two, we got three that say yes. So, it's uh, uh, we're pretty much in agreement on everything. So <laughs> Indeed. So, that's the Indeed. tally. Come, Mr.
7: Tallyman, tally, tally me the radio right. show. The <laughs> yeah. All right, well, wow. folks, this brings us to the end of episode 24 with Pete Lutz, Paul Arbisi and me, Dave Robison. Believe it or not, our next episode will be the season two finale of Old Time Radio Essentials. And Pete will be bringing us that finale. What's your choice for next time, Pete?
6: Next time, I've decided upon an episode of a series that I discovered only recently, but have come to enjoy quite a bit. Tales of the Texas Rangers, starring Joel McRae. And our episode is called Living Death from July 1950. And so, listeners, we hope you'll join us for that next month on Old Time Radio Essentials. Dave, Paul, tell the masses what they need to know.
7: Old Time Radio Essentials is a production of 63 Audio, a proud member of the Mutual Audio Network. Subscribe on Apple or any other podcatcher you may use by searching under Mutual Audio Network and slash or Narada Radio Company. (laughs) Pip, pip. What ho? Cheerio. Hey. Please follow us on the
4: Twitter at Essentials. Oh, wait. No. I said that one wrong. (laughs) Start over. Yeah, screw it. Please follow us on the Twitter at Essentials Old. If you want to suggest a future episode, write us at F6.3 at gmail.com. That's the letter F, the number six, the word point, and the number three. At @gmail.com put the word essentials in the subject line
6: remember friends we're always happy to hear from our listeners so please do send us feedback and suggestions and if you didn't catch our email when paul spelled it out rewind and listen again or just look for it in the show notes now before we close up it's time for a special announcement dave can you give us a beatnik type bongo drum roll
7: uh bon- bongo I'm okay. Well, aren't uh, you yeah.
6: There awesome. you go. Thank you, my <laughs> ultra cosmic groovy cat. Pow! Yeah! Uh, okay. Uh, where was I? Special, Special announcement. Yes, right. Thank you. Folks, summer is coming, and that means the wonderful, fun, and exciting annual Sonic Summerstock Playhouse Anthology series is also coming up at the beginning of July. Sonic Summerstock is where modern audio drama producers put their own individual spin on old-time radio remakes. I've been involved with it since 2015 and have recreated more than 15 programs in that time. This year, I'm excited to announce that Paul will be joining me and several others in a remake of Lux Radio Theater's adaptation of that classic film starring Charles Boyer and Hedy Lamar. Algiers.
7: That's Headley.
6: Count de Money. Oh god, that's Monet. You guys are not allowed to speak French on this program. Mon Dieu, mon petit chouchou. Okay. <laughs> it's time to wrap things up. Join us next time for another fun installment and our season two finale of Old Time Radio Essentials. Au revoir for now.
7: Au revoir, my friends. Vive la révolution. Vive la France. Oh, de la patrie. Yeah. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Did Philip Marlowe were ending up with the French national anthem? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's wrong. We need to put on a turn signal when we change lanes, like this, guys. <laughs> I tell you. <ya. laughs> Get comfortable and listen.
7: <laughs> <laughs> My hey. God, that was soothing. That was fucking that soothing, man. Soporific. That, I I I relaxed just listening to that. that. Was like vocal beautiful. prunes. Oh, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. Excuse me, I'll be right back. <laughs> Our next episode will be the Season 2 finale of Old Time Radio Essentials. And... Thank <laughs> <laughs> you. <laughs> radio Thank <think-tug>, You. yes. <laughs> you talk good. I do, I do the words. I do the words, George.
4: Oh, my God. I'm going to uh, hug him and uh, squeeze him and call him George. Call him George. 63
6: Audio.
5: This is mutual.
3: You're tuned into Monday
4: Matinée on the Mutual Audio Network. Tomorrow is All Things Horror on Tuesday Terrors. Subscribe to the full Mutual Audio Network feed for every day. Or find Tuesday Terrors in your favorite podcast players.
1: The Mutual Audio Network, listening and imagining together.